Father, we've assembled here online uh, in this place called we call the Ark and the Sanctuary at True Worth uh, to worship you, God. But there's some of us, uh, we got some mountains today. And they're pretty big. Uh, we got some strongholds, and they got a grip. And we need you to speak. We need you to move. We need you to touch. So as we open your word, uh, open our minds and open our hearts, and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, glad you're here, regardless of how you've assembled with us. I know we have a lot of folks that are gathering online, and I want you to know whether you're right here in, in Burleson, you're in a hospital nearby, uh, you're at home, or you're in another state, or you're in another country, uh, we're just so thrilled, uh, so humbled and honored uh, that you chose to be a part of worship with us in, in this way. And we hope you'll connect online with whoever's there communicating with you so we can connect with you, kind of make some sort of connection and to make you feel like you truly are a part of this fellowship that we call Pathway Church. And if you're here in this building or you're at True Worth and we'll just go, wow, uh, we know there's so many great churches around. I mean, there are a lot of places you could go. Uh, but for some reason, God has led you here and you say, okay, I think I'll check it out. And we're humbled and we're grateful. If, you're, if you are new, please check out, get a gift. We'd love to give it to you at the Welcome Center. We'd love to meet you and just linger for a little while. We're going to hand out some Bibles if you want one. We're going to be in the book of Galatians. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Some folks will wander around in the sanctuary. They're in the pew. You have them there at True Worth. If you're watching online, maybe you have a chance to find it on your phone or whatever. But just a way to give you the scriptures in your hand. We're going to be there briefly this morning. A lot of application. We're going to start off in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We'll go to Proverbs. We'll wind up in Psalm 30. I'm just kind of giving you a big highway map on where we're headed. Galatians, a couple in Proverbs, and finally in Psalm 34. I, I'm sure there are many of you tonight are going to join the world and watch this thing called the Super Bowl, whether you like it or not, and uh, make a party or something. And we're going to see on television uh, these athletes uh, do things at incredibly high levels of skill. And some are going to be blown away, breathtaking away, uh, by their ability to do some of these things. And there are some of you guys, in particular, that are going to be watching, you're going to go, man, that should have been me, right? And it could have been me. And there's some of you younger guys that are thinking, man, I hope it is me, right? I hope it is. And we have all these fantasies about fulfilling that experience ourselves on that big stage and all this skill level. But here's what I'm pretty sure of. Uh, there are very few of us here who are willing to pay the price of performance uh, that's required, the pain of, that's required to excel at such a high level of any skill of anything. Uh, very few of us. Uh, we've been watching some this past week following the Kobe Bryant story. Some of you not, don't even like Kobe Bryant, but you've been following it, and you've noticed just the number of athletes all around the world who are just kind of really stunned and torn up because uh, of his tragic death of himself, his daughter Gianna, and seven dozen helicopter crash, and rightfully so. Tragedy again. Um, but I know many of them are grieving and really upset because Kobe, for many of these professional athletes, even football, he kind of was a standard they shot for of excellence and skill level and success in his craft. But here's what I know. Even very few of those athletes who are professional aren't willing to pay the price that he paid uh, to have that success. 
Hey, here's an example. Uh, before every team practice, he would have his own personal two-hour practice, then have practice with the team, then have his own personal another two-hour practice, uh, not leaving the gym till he made 400 shots, till he made 400. Uh, he is infamous for his off-season. He would have two hours of track work in the morning, running, uh, two hours of weightlifting, then two hours of basketball drills without a basketball, then two hours of drills with a basketball, again, not leaving the gym, uh, till made 400 shots. That is before lunch. Then another training regimen after. Uh, he's notorious, legendary, for during the halftime of games. Uh, he'd go in the locker room, and his teammates were opening up their phone, uh, checking out Twitter and Facebook and little things like that, and he's watching film of the, of the first half of himself, of where he needed to get better, not of the opposing, of himself. Had this quote right here. I think it's appropriate this week to share it with you. You may have seen it this week from Kobe Bryant. Uh, Talent is overrated. What a statement. Success is the result of a disciplined work ethic. I will tell you tonight, you're going to watch the Super Bowl, many of you, and you don't have a clue, no idea of the price of discipline that was paid so they could get and achieve to that level. And I'm going to say in this room right here, online, sanctuary, ark, wherever you are, true worth, there are many of us here. We have not yet figured out the discipline required to be the best of the best in any area of our life. Uh, this weekend, we are going to spend a lot of time on just getting stronger in our discipline. Uh, and the scriptures are full of examples and the importance of this. I mean, it's just throughout the Bible, it talks about how this is important to anyone in their life. Over here in the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, the apostle Paul lays out the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit uh, for anyone. And we, we, we started this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about getting stronger in love. The very first one in verse 22 of chapter 5 is love, and the last one is self-control or self-discipline. And I think what Paul is saying is uh, the ones in between, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, you're not even going to have that unless you have love and you have self-control or self-discipline. Over in the book of Proverbs chapter 4, let me read a couple of Proverbs here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, we'll put it on the screen. It says, verse 13, it says, hold on to instruction. Now that word in the Hebrew is the same word for discipline. Hold on to discipline. And then once you have it, don't let it go. I mean, get a grip on it. Whatever you do, don't let it go. This is to guard it. In other words, protect it. Why? Because it's your life. It's what it's saying is, listen, your life is not going to amount uh, to the visions and dreams you have for it unless you hold on to discipline. And then you go over here to Proverbs uh, chapter 13, kind of the flip side of this in verse 18. It says, whoever disregards or ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. I wonder how many of you are so, you're really honest right now. You can look back at your life and go, yep, uh, there's some places in my life where I'm impoverished. Uh, I wasn't disciplined enough. Man, you had a little shame. Uh, not disciplined. But it says the flip side is also true. But whoever heeds correction, same word for discipline, is honored. They're honored. 
Uh, we have this definition of discipline right here. I think it kind of works kind of well. Put it up here on the screen. Uh, discipline is doing the right thing regardless of how you feel in the moment. Sound pretty good? That sounds kind of right. Discipline is doing the right thing uh, even when you don't feel like it in the moment. Now, I would like for you to take a moment here and think of someone in your life and your circle of influence that you kind of look up to that's highly disciplined. Maybe just in one area. You pick the area. Maybe they're highly disciplined in their eating and exercise. Uh, maybe they're highly disciplined uh, in their parenting. Uh, maybe they're highly disciplined in how they manage their home life and their marital life. Maybe highly disciplined in their finances or in their work life or maybe in their athletic regimen. You name it. But just think of them. Kind of get a picture in your head. Do you respect them? Uh, would you like to be like them in that area? This right here is a picture of the ministry leadership team that I get to work with, minus Roxanne Ancy. Uh, she was out that day. But this is the folks I get to work with on a regular basis, our ministry leadership team. And I will tell you, they are highly disciplined in their work ethic. I mean, really disciplined. I respect them. And in many ways, I want to be like them because I respect that. Think of somebody in your life that's very low on discipline, very low. You pick it. Uh, do you respect them in that area? Do you want to be like them? See, I think if we're all honest, we would all have to admit we have some area in our life uh, where we are lacking in discipline. And we understand the importance of it. We just don't have it. And the Bible's clear about the importance of it. So this weekend, we're going to kind of break this down, try to make it very simple. I'm going to give you lots of application because I really want you to get it this weekend. I want you to get this concept, apply it to your life. And I'm going to give you three things that will help you get stronger in your discipline. All of us get stronger, myself included. And there's the first one there in your message notes. I will get stronger in discipline when I practice delayed gratification. Uh, I'll get practice. I'll get stronger in discipline when I have this practice of delayed gratification. We're going to put up here on the screen a definition of delayed gratification by Scott Peck. He is a psychiatrist, a Christian. Here's what he has to say. Uh, delaying gratification is the process of scheduling the pain and the pleasure of life in such a way as to enhance the pleasure by meeting and experiencing the pain first and getting it over with. Uh, do the pain first, pleasure, lots of it, later. Okay, we all know this is true. Many of you who are parents, uh, your kids come home from school and you say, hey, get your homework done first. As soon as you get home from school, as soon as you get home from practice, get your homework done. Why? So you can have extended time of pleasure for the rest of your evening, pain-free for you and for us. Just get your homework done. Pleasure on the other end. Uh, you have your kids, and they finally graduate from high school. They go to college, right? And you inspire them to go get a job. They go get a job. And it's an entry-level position. And they come home, and they're, all oh, entry-level position. I'm the low. And you go, ho, ho, ho. Listen, you go to work, and you bust it. Uh, you work as hard as you can. I mean, you get there early. You stay late. You exceed the expectations of your supervisor. 
I mean, you go through the pain of being the low person on the totem pole. And if you will go through that first, uh, there's a payoff. Uh, you'll learn to respect. Uh, you'll get more responsibility. And with more responsibility comes more freedom, oddly enough, and more compensation. We all understand this. Uh, sometimes we put it in different little terms. Uh, we say, pay now, play later. Heard that? Do the difficult thing first and enjoy the blessing later on. I mean, we all know the wisdom of that, of arranging the painful parts of our life early in our life as we can so we can enjoy the pleasant, rewarding times of our life for an extended time later on in our life. Uh, we all know that. Uh, messages. Let me give you a couple, two or three examples of this. Uh, I shared with you here a couple of weeks ago, uh, preparing messages is really hard for me. I mean, it's really challenging. Uh, the hours and hours and hours and hours. You cannot even fathom the number of hours it takes me every week uh, to have something to share on the weekend. And I don't mind telling you, I, I carry the weight of responsibility of making this biblically grounded and having something you take with you that you wake up on Monday morning, you haven't forgotten everything. I mean, I just feel that weight. And so I have learned the only way that I can have any measure of sanity in my life is to get up every Monday morning, even when I don't feel like it. Even when I'm tired and exhausted from the weekend of five times and my brain is fried and my voice is gone, to dive in and work on it. So Monday morning, I tell you, I'm up early. I mean, I'm up early. I'm hard out. I'm busting. I got to give everything I can to get as much done early in the week so when I get to the end of the week, I'm not insane. That's why I have some ability to enjoy Friday and Saturday live with my family. I have some pastor friends, and I'll say, hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing okay, but I hate Fridays and Saturdays. And I say, why do you hate Fridays and Saturdays? And I really know because they wait till Friday or Saturday to start on their message. I would be a basket case. The pressure would be so intense. I'd be, ah, my family would hate me. They would kill me. They would shoot me. Ah, I would just be out. So I've just learned that I've got to work really hard at the beginning of the week so I can enjoy some measure of pleasure extended at the end of the week. Uh, there's a couple in this church who recently retired, both of them uh, in their mid-50s. And just kind of, they were rubbing it in on me that, hey, you're still working and we're retired. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had this conversation. I said, how did you do it? And they said, well, listen, when I got my first job and I got my first paycheck, I decided I was setting 20% aside of my paycheck always, first thing. And so I did. And I would always set it aside, put it in savings, invest it, making sure it's growing and multiplying as much as it could. But that meant uh, when I first started off, I never drove a new car, ever, ever. Uh, we lived in a modest house until just later. Later, we lived in a modest house. And I look back on my life, I cannot think of many, many times where that 20% did not go into that thing. And so when I hit 55, I hit my number, I was done. I thought, wow, what a great example of delayed gratification, of doing the pain of sacrifice on the front end so I can enjoy extended pleasure and time on the other end. 
A uh, couple in this church, married couple, older, uh, older than Dallas and I, been married longer than Dallas and I. I go into common grounds, and they're, they're smooching. <laughs> and so I walked up to them and said, get a room. We have kids in this church. I mean, go get a room, you know. And that, that, that. So we just kind of had a hard time about it and got other thing and kind of make a lot. And then I said, well, tell me, man, your marriage looks so easy. And they said, easy. Man, you don't know, Pastor. Uh, we had a lot of demons on the front end of our marriage. Uh, we had a lot of painful experiences we had to work through at the beginning. Uh, we read a lot of marriage books together. We read a lot of intimacy books together. Uh, we went to counseling together. Together, we worked hard, painfully, to work through our stuff. So if it looks easy now, and it looks like we're having a good time now, it's only because we did the painful things, didn't ignore it first. After late gratification, and... Uh, now they can make out the church in common grounds. They're almost married 50 years. Whoa, man. That's really delayed gratification. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Church, are you getting the point? I'm just saying that if you're going to get stronger in discipline, you've got to implement this practice in your life of delayed gratification. Everybody got it? Understand it? Okay, let's move on to the next one. Second thing. I will get stronger in discipline uh, when I practice advanced decision-making. Advanced decision-making. Uh, let me ask you, when is the worst possible time to go to the grocery store? Right. Because if you go to the grocery store when you're hungry, you will buy everything that is not bolted down. I mean, you'll throw your list away. You'll just go, boom, boom. Your car will be so full, it will bust the axle. You're pushing that through. It's going, and you're just breaking down. I mean, just so much stuff, right? I mean, just overflowing. And it, all the research and surveys proves it's true. If you go shopping when you are hungry, uh, you will buy 20 to 30% more. You just will. Uh, let me ask you another question. When is the absolutely worst time to decide uh, that you're not going to take another drink? Probably when you've had two or three, it's not a really good time to make that. Why? Because you're not in a good frame of mind. You're probably not going to fall through on that decision. Uh, let, me, let me just speak what I mean by advanced decision making. And I want to speak to Jesus followers for a second. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to say something to you. Uh, watching online or in this room, uh, you are welcome here. And we just don't mean lip service. It's not just lip service. Uh, you're, you're, you're extremely welcome here. Uh, if you're Buddhist, uh, you're Islam, uh, you just have zero faith. You're welcome to come here online, watch, and to figure your stuff out, whatever it is, and to wrestle. You're, you're welcome. I don't want to exclude anyone, but I want to say something to those folks who are followers of Jesus. Because advanced decision-making, this is how it works if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, you get your Bible, and you get your journal, and you get alone before God. When you're clear-headed, when you're sober-minded in your thinking, when you've surrendered yourself in that moment to the Holy Spirit, and then 
you make the key decisions of your life. You don't make those key decisions in the heat of the battle, in the emotional part of the moment, uh, when you're overwhelmed, when you're wilted and beat down on the floor. That's not when you make those decisions. Uh, You will fail to make a wrong one almost every single time. You make those decisions in advance. So when the time comes, boom, you're solid. Uh, let me give you a few examples of this. Uh, I'm getting ready to go on a little rant here. I have not had this rant in a long time. It's been storing it up. So if it comes across a little too strong, I'm sorry. It's just been building up within me. And it's the insanity of recreational shopping. And this is whether it's online or offline, okay? Whether online or offline, it works both ways. But I just want to go the brick and mortar route for old, for old school. We're going old school. But you can apply this to online. I mean, okay, so, I mean, you're tired, you're cooped up, uh, you kind of all beat down, weary, uh, you've been in the house for a long time, there's all the pressures of life. You go, you know what? I just need to go shopping. I just need to go shopping. So you get all your stuff together, you get all your buying power in your purse or in your pocket or your bill for whatever, and you walk out the door, and you're going to go to your brick-and-mortar choice, is what we're saying, and you tell everybody around you, hey, listen, I'm going shopping, and I'm just going to look. You're going to target and look, huh? I'm just going to go look. Uh, Did you know that whether it's online or brick-and-mortar, all the research proves if you look long enough, you will buy stuff you don't need with money you don't have. That's just proof. Why do millions of Americans behave this way? It, millions of people behave. Why? Because you make your decision when you've been rendered temporarily insane. <laughs> it's just true. Here's how it works. Brick and mortar, right? You get all your stuff together. You get all ready. You head out the door. You go to your brick and mortar. You walk in the door. This is true online, too. The same concept works. But you walk in this brick and mortar, and the ambiance and the cool lighting and the colors, very strategically display of all the merchandise, right? The music in the background, the nostalgic years, it takes you back to a tender moment in your life, right? You're just feeling all good and seduced by the experience, and all of a sudden you walk out the store and you got all this stuff, and you get home, you go, Look what I bought. <laughs> and I was just looking. You put it all on the bed, you start trying it on, and this guilt and shame just overwhelm you because you realize I don't have that money to spend. And you look at your account and you go, Ah! The damage has been done. But what if you tried, you're a Jesus follower, you took advanced decision making. And so you have your Bible, you open up the Word, you have your journal, and you bring out the budget that you prepared before God to honor God. The one you surrendered to God for His purposes, for all your finances, right? And so you surrender before God. You're sober-minded. You're in a rational frame of mind. You're thinking clearly, and you look at your budget. And you go, ha, I've got a line item here. It says clothing. February, $75. Huh, I already made that decision. I'm going to make that decision again. I can spend $75 on whatever I want. And you do it. Because you made the decision then. 
And if you're really weak, there are some of you, if you're really weak in this area of your life, uh, when you head out the door, uh, you take every credit card you have, every debit card you can, you take the checkbook, every little thing you have that you could use, and you put it in a fireproof safe. <laughs> and then you leave with only $75 in your pocket. So the only amount of money you can spend is that guy. I'm just saying. Y'all think I'm joking about this. I'm really not. There are some of you who get yourself in trouble because you don't make the advanced decision in your money. Uh, here's another thing that with Jesus followers, uh, with tithing and saving. I get this all the time from Jesus followers who say, you know what, Pastor? I mean, I just feel all this guilt and shame. I made this decision. I'm going to tithe. I made this decision. I'm going to save. But, man, every month this happens. I get my paycheck, right? <laughs> and my, my heart is good. My intentions are good. I'm really going to give my honor to God. And I'm going to save for my future, for my honor, my family. But, man, then we go out to eat two or three times. I didn't plan on that. And I got to go buy this for the kids. And they got to have that. Had this emergency. I get to the end of the month. And I don't have enough to tithe or to save or do either one. I go, ah, guilt and shame, guilt and shame. I hear, I've heard this story from the same people over and over and over. It's a vicious cycle over because there's no discipline. No advanced decision making. But what if you did this? Uh, what if you got out your Bible and you got out your journal, and you got out this budget that you made up before God on how you were going to spend this wonderful resource that God has given to you, and you looked at it, and you went, okay, sober-minded, surrender to the Holy Spirit, and you said, hey, this is my tithe, yes, this is my savings, I'm going to get to the future of my family and honor my family, and I'm going to automate it. I'm going to use the tools of technology to make it a discipline of online giving, it's just going to be a check the best going to happen. And even on my savings, I'm going to talk to my boss or to my bank that I don't even see my check. It's a direct deposit. It never gets into my grubby little hands. I never touch it. And part of it goes into savings and retirement that I never touch. And I've never heard someone regret doing that. In fact, they go, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. I made some good decisions. I've honored the God that I say that I love. I've given to the church that's been such a blessing to me and is ministering to so many people. I've honored my family by setting money aside and it's consistent for my future. And I can spend the rest of my money with no guilt and no shame because I made this advanced decision. Wow. Uh, what about dating? Uh, some of you are dating. When's the best time in a dating relationship uh, to make the decision about your sexual and physical intimacy boundaries. When's the best time? I mean, you want to honor God, right? I know most people who are followers of Jesus, you want to honor God. You want to be pure. Uh, you want to put God first in your life. When's the best time to make that decision? Uh, is it in the middle of lunch? In the daylight? Praying before God? Or is it 2 o'clock in the morning and someone's couch in an apartment with nobody else around? Hint. The first one, <laughs> lunch, broad daylight, before God. Nobody is sober-minded at 2 o'clock in the morning on a couch in an apartment, dark throat, no, 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 weak. Anybody is sober-minded. 
before God, advanced decision. Uh, this is how we're going to do this. Navigate this. Work ethic. What about your work ethic? I know a lot of people who are high-performing in their work, high-performing discipline in their work. I also know some mid-performing people. I know some low-performing people. Here's what I know for a fact. We need more Christians in the world who are high-performers in their work. You want to be a witness that everything I do, even my work, it honors God. But so many of us, it doesn't. Uh, I've never seen a high-performing worker do this. A lot of middle people, a lot of low performers. They, they go to their office, right? They go to their office, and they show up at their cubicle, they get a little hole, and they go sit down, they turn on their computer. First thing, check email, uh, check Facebook, check Twitter. Look at a few minutes, okay, uh, get, get up, go to the coffee pot. Uh, get a cup of coffee, whatever, talk to a few folks, talk about the game last night, right? Spend 30 minutes there talking. Uh, go back to their desk, sit down, and go, okay, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do? Every high-performing discipline worker I know plays, plans out their work day in advance. They sit down, and they know what they're going to do before they ever get to their desk. And they press on the hard thing first. I'm going to do the hard thing first, and I'm going to press on it and stay on it all day long, disciplined without all distractions, and I'm going to get it done. Uh, what kind of performer are you when it comes to work? How disciplined are you? Uh, what sort of decisions do you make in that area of your life? Uh, years ago, uh, my wife came to me, and we had a come to Jesus meeting, and she was Jesus, and she said, you know, Rick, uh, all you do is work. I'm the opposite end. All you do is work. And you come, you work at the office, you work at home. So I made a decision. Uh, I'm going to be so disciplined in my work and ask God to bless me in my disciplined work that when I walk out the door and when I get home, I'm home. No work. Very rare. I may return a phone call or two on the way home to work. I may stop in the driveway and return a text or two. But when I walk in that door, I'm going to work all day as hard as I can. So when I get home, I'm home. Fully present to this woman that I said, you're my wife, I take you, I give you everything I am. And if any of my sons come over, any of my wife, their wives come over, I can be fully present with them. And if this little girl happens to be at my house, this little two-year-old granddaughter of mine, and I'm holding her in my arms and she's taking a nap, I don't want to be working. I want to be fully in her presence, who she needs me to be. But I can only do that if I have disciplined boundaries in my work life. And I'm just saying, church, there's some of you, you need to reevaluate the discipline, how you approach your time, and how it's spilling over and messing up your families. And some of you are extreme worth ethic people. I got some people on this church staff that work so hard, I got to do the opposite with them. I got to say, go home. When are you going on vacation? Uh, when are you going to go take, when are you going to take your time off? Because they don't. They're just so grinding it to the grindstone. I got to say, hey, have you scheduled it yet? And so I want to mentor anyone here, right here, anyone, if this is you. Uh, in fact, February is a little bit too late. Every January, look at your calendar. And look at your whole year. You know, you know when it's going to be intense. You know the seasons of your work life. And schedule a family vacation or time off right before or right after 
put it on the calendar. Because if you don't make the decision, you'll, you'll never do it. Or when the time comes, you're so tired, you're so exhausted, you'll just stay home and go, Ugh. One more, just one more in this area right here. And what about using advanced decision-making in your worship? Think about it. Think about it. I love visiting with folks out there in the crossing, but sometimes somebody will say something to me like this. They'll say, hey, Pastor, man, worship was awesome today, and I almost didn't come. Man, I'm so glad I came. And on the inside, I'm going, hmm. <laughs> and sometimes I'm feeling a little feisty, and that's more often than you think. You know, I'm almost 65, but I'm still feisty. I'm just saying, be careful, you know. And if I'm really feeling feisty, I'll say, oh, oh, so you tell me you woke up this morning, and so you took a coin, and you flipped it, heads, and we're going to church, tails, I'm going back to bed. Is that what you did? You went outside and put your finger in your mouth, check which way the wind was blowing? You know, uh, you read your horoscope uh, to kind of see, well, you checked up your barometric pressure. Uh, you checked your biorhythms. Uh, you went to your kids and said, hey, kids, do you think we ought to go to church today? No, okay, we'll stay home. Uh, is, is that how you did it? Is that how you decide if you're going to church or not? Really? And by the time I get to that point, they're going, man, I wish I hadn't come to church today. <laughs> or I hadn't come talk to you or whatever. Uh, but seriously, can I say something about this? If you're a serious follower of Jesus Christ, why in worship on your calendar as a disciplined, regular part? That's the number one thing we do, is we gather to worship the one who has saved us, who loves us, who has provided all this for us. Even Jesus himself, over in Luke chapter 4, it says that he went to the synagogue always, as was his custom. Jesus wasn't flipping coins. Hey, today I'll go to the temple. Today I won't. Today I will. Today I won't. Let me check the weather. Let me check my horoscope. He went. And he's our leader. I'm just saying, some of you, maybe you want to refresh this. I'm just saying. Just think about it. That, hey, my family, uh, we're making a commitment. We're disciplined. We're going to do this. Because that's the God we serve. And we're going to be part of a faith community. Uh, here's what I know. I know there's a mom and a dad and two bonus parents who were glad they made a decision years ago that we're going to raise a little girl in church. And ever since she was born, they brought her and brought her and brought her, and they came too. And when the storm came, and the ground shook, and life fell apart, they had their church, and they had their worship, and people gathered around them because they made the advanced decision. And they were ready when the time came. I'm just saying. Here's the last one. I practice, I will get stronger and disciplined when I practice celebrating small victories. Well, on my journey to discipline, 
I'm going to celebrate small victories because too much discipline, is, it's a recipe for disaster. Can I just say this? It's a recipe for disaster. If you're just disciplined, 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 just, just, just this hard-nosed, disciplined person, no joy, uh, no party, no, no life, uh, pretty soon you'll quit whatever you're trying. You've got to have celebrations along the way. You just have to, or you will not make it. You will implode, or your family around you will implode you themselves. Now, some of you need to lighten up. I mean, that's why the Old Testament is so clear. Uh, it's so structured. But he gave them all these feasts and festivals. Punk, go read it. Feasts and festivals, feasts and festivals. Holy, to have joy and celebration along the way to journey. Uh, Jesus himself, so disciplined. But read, go read about Jesus. Uh, he would take these long walks in the mountains, campfires on the beach. Uh, he would go on long boat rides. He went to weddings. Uh, he had intimate dinners with friends and just hung around and chatted. He got on the ground and played with kids. Jesus, very disciplined in the core issues of life. You and me too. But I'm just saying, some of you need to lighten up. You're boring. <laughs> You're no fun. That's why your marriage is in trouble. You're no fun. You've got to have a little joy along the way. I know a couple uh, who wanted to pay their house off early. Sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. It was getting so poor they almost quit, so they added something into their journey. Uh, they would go on a fun vacation, a bucket list vacation every couple of years to reward themselves for the sacrifice of paying that sucker off when they paid it off. Victory. Uh, I can give you all sorts of things. I know of uh, real estate agents who take their family out to dinner after every closing because it's so hard to close the deal. Let's all go celebrate. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Okay, I want to wrap up like this. I'm aware of the time, but this last past week, I, I prayed so hard that some of you would get this, that you would just really get it. I wanted you to get it, and I prayed, God, God, if there was anything, if you gave me power, God, that this church would get more discipline, that they would hear this message this weekend and do something about it, God, I wish you would. Then I had this strange thought. What if God gave me the power to anyone who was hearing my voice at 1025 that I could just do this? You know what this is? This is what the Pope does. Boom. <laughs> and it just happens. <laughs> I could just go, boom. And they would have discipline in one area of their life. And I started thinking, if I could, if, it's in the wrist. You get, I practice it all week long. <laughs> boom. And it wouldn't work. What would that be? And I thought, okay, okay, okay. Some of you think, okay, probably finances. Because I know how, Pastor, you just wears you out. People who just struggle all the time, that vicious cycle. Uh, that, that's a good guess, but that's not it. Uh, we got about 20 families now, 25 families taking our, our financial classes. Some of you are here. I wish I could give you a high five. I heard the progress you're making, so that, that's not it. But we got classes coming for those that will be finances. Uh, some of you are thinking, I know, diet, about my body, how to take care of my body. Uh, that's a good guess. Uh, we're doing that next week. It's so important, okay? So uh, all you got to do is have a body to come, so just come uh, next week, get stronger and, and honoring God with our body. Uh, what about stronger in marriage? Some of you are thinking, oh, I know, that, I know that's such a big thing with you. So yeah, uh, that's, but that's not it. We're going to do that in two weeks. And in fact, uh, if you're here today, get your date night kit when you leave for your marriages if, or, or your dating. Uh, go out and get a date night kit. We got it right here. So, but there's, if there's one thing one thing, just do this, and poof, this is what it'd be. Your daily personal reading of this book. If I could do this in 
every one of you would have this discipline. I would go to bed at night and go, oh, just thank you, God. 15 minutes every morning, your Bible and the journal. Just read a few things. Uh, ask God to tell you something. And you make a note or two. Say, God, I surrender my life to you today to live like this, to do what you're asking me to do, God. Uh, I, I would give anything if young parents would read the Bible to their children. That you would have the discipline at bedtime, at dinner time, to open up this book or find a book for your kids and to read it to them. I don't care how old they are, that you and your family would read this book. I wish I could have to just do this, and I would look and see some of your Bibles just falling apart, the pages twisted and turned and marked because you're in it so much you have to have it rebound twice a year. I just wish I could do that because I know if you would have that discipline. I'm going to model for you as we wrap up. Uh, this past week, I was thinking about you, church family, those that are watching us online. I know so many have been impacted by what's going on in the world and by Raven and the other deaths here at this church. And I found myself in Psalm 34. And uh, I'm just going to give you an example of how I did this in my quiet time, just 15 minutes this past week. I was reading Psalm 34, and first verse goes like this. I, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I underwrite the word always. Uh, you know what, God? I wrote down, I just don't want to praise you for one hour hour and 10 to 15 minutes on Sunday. I want your name to be on my lips every day. <laughs> uh, you've been so good to me. All the time. <laughs> I just want to worship you all the time. Uh, verse 4. Uh, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Uh, he delivered me from all my fears. I started writing down all my fears. I thought, my, I'm 65 years of age almost, and I still have fears. I wrote down the fears that I have now. And then I started looking at the fears that I used to have, and I thought, my gosh, God delivered me from those. I just wrote them down. He took care of that. He took care of that. He took care of that. That bad thing didn't happen. That wasn't as bad as I thought. He took care of that. Then I said, you know what, God? If you did that, you'll do this. Oh, okay. I'm going down to verse, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I wrote down, you know, the first time I tasted God was good was when I was 16 years of age. And I just realized he's so good. And I'll tell you, the past six months, it's been so hard. Some of the hardest days of my life as a pastor. Uh, very personal. All these deaths, people that I love and know very carefully, very closely. And, but I thought, even in that, God's been good to me. The next line is, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I said, yes, God. You are my refuge. I will come to you, God, when life is hard. You're my refuge, God. And I just put, you're my refuge. You're my refuge. You're my refuge. You're my refuge. And I got down to the last verse that I read. Verse 18. It said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I just sat there and I just thought for a few minutes about all the brokenhearted people. All these faces just came to mind. I started thinking about all the people that have joined us online from all over the world were just broken hearted and all the people around here and I just thought wow so many people got broken hearted anybody here broken hearted anybody here had a broken heart the Bible said he is close 
you're not alone. He's close to you. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Anybody here been crushed? I just wrote down the times of my life where I've been crushed. Just crushed. Just crushed. Yeah, God save me from each one. Close my book. Say, God, just surrender me today to whatever you've taught me here just to live for you in such a way, God, that would please you and be an encouragement to others. And I went to work. And I would just suggest if I could do anything and just do and you would have that experience, change your life. Invite everyone to stand. True Worth Sanctuary, online if you can where you're gathered, even if you're gathering home somewhere. Uh, we've been sealing all these messages to our Stronger series with the song. Because I know there are some of you here, uh, you know that you're going to walk out and you're going to wilt in this discipline thing pretty quick. Uh, you're going to need some help. So we're just going to sing a little bit of this song. I'm going to ask you to pray it as your help in this area where you need discipline. So let's do it. Your power, your presence breaks strongholds, King of heaven, when you speak, mountains move, I believe there will be breakthrough, it's your God, that is my prayer. That is all who are worshiping here as they leave, wherever they are online, True Worth, Sanctuary, the Ark, as we move out of this room into the reality of this world, that you will keep speaking, that you will move a mountain or two, and you will give us the discipline to practice your teaching. And we'll give you all the praise. And your name will always be on our lips. In Jesus' name.